We are in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. We did 1 through 11 last week. We'll probably only get down through verse 17 tonight. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Some really good stuff. Um, let, me, let me ask you a couple of preliminary questions. Um, when you think about what it is that Christ has called us to. Now, uh, in my pastoral experience, people bring with them a there's a there's a transitional moment in in the maturity of the believer that when people first come to the Lord, it's not about it's not about becoming something, it's about escaping something. <laughs> it's a they they come to the Lord with a burden on their heart because of their sin, because of their lostness. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. And the whole, and forgive this term, the whole transaction, the whole, the whole uh, experience is about the, uh, the, their awareness of their sin and the reality of a heaven to be gained and a hell to be missed. And it has to do with um, salvation solely. Okay, now, but there comes a moment, there is supposed to come a moment, let's say it this way, there's supposed to come a moment where that is no longer the motivating factor. Um, If you're in the room tonight and you're still motivated because of your fear of missing heaven, I would just encourage you by saying there's something better coming there will come a moment when that's not what you will be primarily concerned about. And that's what's supposed to happen. That's not supposed to be the thing that drives you, um, that, that moves you, or that motivates you, or that, that captivates you. It's not fear any longer. The fear of the Lord is the what of wisdom? The beginning, but it's not the end. It's not the it's not where you're supposed to end up constantly living. Do you, do you remember what it felt like? Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Do you remember what it felt like to be convicted about your sins before you accepted Christ? Does anybody remember that? Um, I do. And most of you like, no, I was in this from the birth to, you know, the cradle, cradle till now. And... And that is the best testimony. I pray over every child that we dedicate, Lord, let them never return from deep sin because they never go there. That's the best. But there are those that don't get saved as a child and they, they, know, what it, they know the conviction. And it is a, it's a scary thing to recognize that there is a God, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, and you are destined for hell. And I need to repent. And it's a, and it is not a, uh, it's not a little, well, that's kind of a, I don't know, maybe if I get around. No, it, when, when conviction really grips you, it's a, <laughs> I got to get the, the, get out of my way. Hurry up, preacher. Get done preaching. I got some business I need to, and, and that's what it should be. But that's not supposed to be where you live. That's not supposed to be the way you exist in what God has for you forever. And if that, if that is your experience, you're, you're stalled. You're, you're in the wrong place. It, here's why. Fear won't hold you. If all you know of God is fear, you, you, you won't stay. 
If there's no way to go beyond the fear, if you only lived in the conviction of your sin and it was never resolved by an acceptance of his grace and his love and you felt the, the warmth of having your sins taken away and the, and the renewal of your soul, if all you know is the fear, I don't think you stay. Eventually you, you walk away. Paul tonight in this letter is not writing a letter to beginners. At this point in his letter, he's writing to those who have transitioned out of the fear and now they are progressing in their desire to be what God wants them to be. And there's some things in here tonight that are challenging. Now, they're not, they're not intended to be, oh my goodness, I'm no good. No, you, that's what you were before. You're entirely saved in Christ, but we're still learning. Say amen. And it's that that Paul begins to write about as he uh, there is a natural transition between verse 11 and 12. In, if you remember in 1 through 11 last week, he was talking about things to put off. Put off this and put off that and get rid of that. Put to death the old man. You've been, you know, you've been uh, uh, baptized with Christ. You are now in Christ. You're with the Father uh, in Christ. Um, with Christ in the Father. Um, put off all that old stuff. And then tonight, he begins in verse 12. Let's read 12 through 17. He says this, put on then. Last week, we talked about taking things off. Now he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he makes a list, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me lead us in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a beautiful evening that you've made. I thank you for each of these that are joining us, Father, in the room, and also those that are joining us via the stream, or those that might watch this later. Oh, Lord, as, as we do each week. Um, and, and I want this to be thoroughly applied to me as well. Let the Word of God transform us. Let it change who we are. Let it change what we are. And Lord, as we go through these verses tonight, Holy Spirit, um, draw us up closer to the Father. We are, we are with Christ in God already, Paul wrote. Help us, to, help us to live in that. Help me to live in that. Help us to recognize what you've called us to be and what you've called us to do and how we are to live in this world. Lord, the concepts that we're going to look at tonight, I don't know anywhere else that they are taught other than your word. I don't know anywhere where people are called to live this high of a life. I don't want to fail you, Lord. I pray that each of us would have a heart to hear these things and to, 
just to aspire to live up to these. None of us will do it perfectly, but Father, we ought to set our, our sights on a high mark. Help us to do that. We bless you tonight. I pray you'd encourage each one, if any, if they're depressed, if they're saddened, if they're going through things in their life or just the just this season that we're in, I pray you'd bring encouragement and strength and peace and rest. I pray that all that has transpired before they're, they're in their lives, Lord, would they'd be free from all of, the, all of the hurts and all of the things that hold them captive and that they'd be able to be at peace and rest and know you. We thank you tonight, Lord. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verse 12 again. Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As I said already in the preceding section, believers are told to put off the old lifestyle. And in this section, we're told to put on some things. Now, I want you to notice, if you were to describe uh, the kind of verb that put on is, put on. Uh, how would you describe that? What kind of, what kind of word, what kind of words are those? I'm not talking about nouns, verbs, adjectives, but, but what, just give me a word that would describe those. Put on. Action, action words, yes. And that's exactly what's intended. Listen, this is a proactive engagement in the work of God in your life. And we're going to see how as we progress through this, but each of these, and we're going to see several, there are several things that can only be described as commands. Put on something. Uh, we're going to look at several things. Here he says, put on uh, some different things. And I want you to notice the words that he used. We'll, we'll talk about God's chosen ones in a moment. But I want you to look at the list of things that we're to put on. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's describing us. If I use the word purity in reference to someone's Christian life, what do you think of? Holiness. Holiness. Obedient. Sinless. Sinless. Okay. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Because we use the word pure in a different way in, when we talk about the Scriptures than we do anywhere else. The, our thoughts are different. When we think of a pure life, a holy life, we think about, well, you probably don't curse, you don't sin, you don't lie, you don't, you don't cheat, you don't, I mean, you try to live a pure life. We, we, we look at the characteristics of a person, and that's accurate a little bit, but watch. If I tell you that this is pure water, what do I mean? Nothing else in it. It's, it, it doesn't have, I didn't, I didn't take, now, and watch this. If I just took, Danny, just one drop of motor oil, just, I mean, that's a lot of what, but just one drop, just a, maybe if I could divide, it's a tiny little drop. What if I just dipped a toothpick in motor oil and put it in there? Anybody want any? Come on, it's only got a little bit. It's almost entirely, it's almost all water, but it's not what? It's not pure, okay? So when the scripture uses the word pure, that's what it means. Undefiled, without additive, without, uh, 
Now, are any of you completely in your own ability pure? Anybody? Because if you are, come on up. Because I'd like to have a seat and have you teach the rest of this. Everybody say no out loud. No, No, we're not. Can we be in our own ability? Paul knew in himself and in all of those he was ministering to and with a full realization that they were not going to live perfect lives. And yet Paul said, you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The, the word holy implies pure. We, we sometimes think of holy as outward adornment and those things. But the word holy here implies pure. Without deviation, when we use the word holy in reference to God, you've heard me say this before, the way that I like to think about God's holiness is that he doesn't deviate. He is always upright. He is completely, without, without exception, truthful, love, loving, just. But you and I aren't. And yet, how are we made holy. How can Paul say we are? Come on, you know this. Through, through the atonement of Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and he, didn't, he didn't have any expectations that you would suddenly never need his grace again. And, and it really doesn't matter what position you're in. That's always going to be the case. Amen? Holy implies pure. I just want you to dwell on that for a minute when what we mean when we say something is pure. I remember pure ivory soap. Y'all remember that? Dove soap is 99%. Remember that? What's that other? Radioactive waste and that other 1%? I still don't, you know. So nothing is really pure until it is what? It's, it's all that way, okay? Um, and that's what God has called us to. Now, Holy implies that. Now, he says you are holy and beloved. There are several definitions of what that might be, but the best definition of beloved is one in whom someone takes pleasure. You're his beloved. You're a beloved member of his family. You're a beloved child. And that's exactly what you and I and all those who are in Christ are. Even even with your frailties, even with your flaws, yes, absolutely, with all of that, You are still God's beloved child. Then he starts making a list of things that we're to put on. We've been described. You're God's chosen ones. We're going to come back to that in a moment. You are holy through Christ, and you are beloved, even in your imperfection. He said, then put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I just wish that sun would just go somewhere else. <laughs> Can y'all see that? Is it, is, it, is it bright on my face as it feels like it is? I feel like I'm tanning right now. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting, Sue, I don't know what to do with it. I could move my table, but it's going to go down in a minute. So those of you on the camera, I'm sorry. <laughs> Run out to my truck and get my sunglasses. No, sorry. All right. I'll be fine. All right. Does it make me warm? Look, does it give me a warm glow? Oh my, it's it's probably great light for the camera, yeah. Yeah, of course, I'm going to be just seeing one big white spot the rest of the night, but 
All right, uh, holy and beloved. Now, and watch this. Then he says, put on, put on, actively pursue, actively engage in, putting on a compassionate heart. You put it on. Put on a, we're going to see how in a moment. But right now, I just want you to hear the command that Paul issues that you, as people that are now maturing in believers, you got to put on a compassionate heart. We, we understand what the word compassion means, but it's a deep awareness of and a sympathy for another person's suffering. How many of you feel the great compassionate hearts just bubbling up everywhere in our world today? It, no, right? I want, you to, I want you to think about a story that I heard Dr. Rutland tell one time where he was talking to a friend of his who had gotten on the elevator with a man in a, in a building. And when the guy got on, he just slumped against the wall and he just looked. He looked haggard. He looked wore out. And he said, man, you look like you've been through the ringer. He said, school board meeting. And he said, oh, really? He said, man, you must have dealt with some stuff. He said, yeah, the Christians showed up tonight. And he said, what? He said, yeah. He said, he said, whenever the Christians show up, it's signs and yelling and jeers. And it's, you know, we're, we're just not, you know, and I, and, and the whole point in the story was, what? The Christians showed up. Paul says, we're to put on compassionate hearts. What does that mean? A deep awareness of and a sympathy for another person's suffering. My goodness, anybody challenged by that? You're supposed to be. If you don't feel challenged to be more compassionate, then you're not hearing what Paul's saying. Put on a compassionate heart. He said, and watch how these go together. Put on kindness. Well, the world could sure use a bunch more kindness, couldn't it, right now? People that have ascribed to themselves the responsibility to be kind, to go beyond what the norm is, to go a little further, to say something more, to give something more. Kindness is, is warm-hearted and considerate. That's what this word speaks of. Being warm-hearted towards someone and considerate of the situation that they're in. Be kind. What Paul is saying is that we're supposed to do those to, people we, to the people we like, right? Do this for your family. No, it's not what he's saying. This is just who we're supposed to be in the world. Be compassionate and be kind. This next one helps us with that. He says, put on humility. I'll tell you what, I'm the most humble person I know. You got it? That's, that's supposed to be a joke, by the way. All right? Here's the best definition of humility that I could find. It's an appropriate assessment of oneself in light of your sin. An appropriate... It doesn't mean that you assess yourself as having no worth. It's not, a, it's not that you don't have merit or that you don't have gifts or that you don't have strengths. But it's the fact that when you compare yourself in your sin to Christ's righteousness, 
There's no way to not end up humbled. Amen? And that's what he's saying. Put that on. Seek. So now we've been called to be compassionate and kind and humble. And then he says, put on meekness. My favorite definition of meekness, we used to use a phrase that, you know, they would, we used to use, we still do, we use the word meek to describe like uh, impotent. Oh, look at that meek little boy. Well, we mean like Tiny Tim. Oh, he's such a meek little boy. Oh, he just got such a meek little demeanor. Well, what we don't know is that if that kid could, he'd just rip you limb from limbs, but his physical situation, so that's not meek. Meekness isn't the person that can't. Meekness is the person who can and what? And doesn't. Meekness is power constrained. Meekness is somebody that has the ability to say, get out, get away. But instead says, come sit by me. That's meek. Power constrained. You have to have power to exhibit meekness. You have to have leverage. The absence of any ability to do anything prohibits meekness. Meekness is power when it's constrained. It's the big six foot five guy that can tear your limb from limb that's got this big soft heart and just cares for everybody. That's meekness. Okay? Paul says, put that on. When you find yourself in a position to be controlling, to leverage your position or your power or your title or your money or your reputation, he says, don't. Be meek. Constrain that. He says, and this favorite of all of ours, put on patience right now. All right? We, we, we don't want to do that. Part of our fallen nature is that we demand the right to get what we want right now. And we live in the most consumer-minded generation the world's ever known. And we... I mean, a, a light turns, I heard a, a great definition, um, the, the, the New York second, how long a New York second is, it's the amount of time it takes for a light to turn green and the first horn to honk. That's a New York, somebody said that, in New York City, that's how long it is. It's, it's almost instant, all right? We're not patient. We, you know, we, we put something in a microwave, Pop, popcorn in the microwave takes too long. Um, Paul says, put on patience. Patience is of no good until it is tried. You, you have to run up against things that you don't want to be patient with for patience to be a virtue. Paul says, we're to put those things on. Now, I don't mind telling you, I like that grace thing better than I like this. Do you see what I meant when I talked about there comes a moment in time where you transition from I just hope I'm saved to something more. And Paul's writing about the something more. You have to move on from the, the elementary things of God. You've got to move on from fear of the Father. You've got to move on from all I'm trying to do is make heaven. And you've got to go on to, you've taken that off. We talked about that. And now you're putting on things. And if this stuff doesn't challenge you, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. 
There's so many things that these things prohibit. You can't be compassionate and mean. Say amen. You can't be kind and cutting with your words. You can't be humble and demand your way. You can't be meek and leverage your position or your power, or your title or your money. You, you just can't. You have to push all that aside. You can't be patient, patient and, and have it right now. Those are all great challenges to our flesh, to our humanity. And that's just one verse. <laughs> you could spend your whole life living Colossians 3.12 and do pretty good. It'd be, a, it'd be a full life of pursuit. Amen? If you could apply Colossians 3.12 to your marriage, it's going to be a great marriage. If you're an employer that lives by Colossians 3.12... You may not make more money than other people are, but your employees are going to love you. If you're a teacher, if you're a, if you're a boss, if you're a, if you're a polit, oh, politician, oh my goodness. What, no, yeah, well, let's move on. Let's get back into the realm of possibilities here, all right? But, but I remember when that, these were, those were commensurate requirements to serve in those places. Amen won't heaven be a good place so now put on as I said indicates an active sense of participation there's a really interesting thing here in the God's chosen one the reason I held that before we go on to verse 13 when he says God's chosen one this isn't a predestination Calvinistic statement rather who was Israel what do we, when we refer to the nation of Israel, biblically or historically, what do we call them? God's what? Chosen people. Does that mean that every one of them was uh, upright? Were any of them in, at some point in time, all right? No, they were a flawed group of people that God put into captivity many times. He, so, so chosen one wasn't a statement. Chosen people isn't a statement of perfection or of inability to sin, or of theological, uh, all right? There were times when the ground opened up and swallowed 30,000 of the chosen ones. There were times when they spent 400 years and kept, you with me? An entire generation died in the wilderness of the chosen ones. You're like, could I just stay off of the chosen one list? So chosen one, sometimes people want to interpret that to mean predestined, you can't, you, no, you, no, it didn't mean that for the children of Israel, and it doesn't mean that in the New Testament. But there is a sense that this is a continuation, that, that the church is the continuation of God's chosen people. When you accept Christ, and the scriptures even write about that, that you have been grafted into Israel, and you are now one of God's chosen people. Not by birthright, but by grace, by Christ's grace. You're chosen. Isn't that cool? You get to choose to be chosen. Pretty cool, isn't it? I didn't want to be the last one standing on the playground, so I got chosen. I mean, really, where are you going? I'm going down to the altar, get chosen. Isn't that a, isn't that a neat way? I'm going to go get a birthright. I'm going to... I'm about to, I'm going down to get, I'm, get, I'm going down to the altar and get an inheritance. <laughs> I'm, 
think about, I mean, we don't put it in that context, come down in Christ. Maybe I ought to preach a sentence, a sentence. Maybe I ought to preach a sermon that, and rather than talking about, it just says, hey, all of you that want to inherit something really good, come down. I got a deal for you. We don't market it that Maybe we ought to market this stuff that way. You know what I mean? All you orphans, come down. You can have a family. All of you rejected that feel in last place, come on, you can be at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. All right? Now, verse 13. This gets really, it gets really up in, up in our stuff here. He says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, put it on Facebook. <laughs> Is that what he said? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint, protest. No, and I'm not saying that there aren't things you ought to protest, ought not protest, and there are things you ought to put on Facebook. I'm making fun of, of the world we live in, but Paul says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, the, the, this, this idea of putting on clothes, put on, and that, that really is the picture that Paul paints here. You put this on like you would a garment. You go into the closet, you take it out, you put it on. The manner of doing that is expressed in this verse by two, two phrases. They're, they're adverbial phrases, but don't worry about that. Two phrases. And here, here they are. Bearing with and forgiving. Bear with one another and forgiving each other. Forgiveness probably defines what it means to bear with. It's further clarified by the statement that says, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, how do you do that? How do you live this this life of not holding on. Somebody, somebody um, cheats you out of some money. Somebody, somebody makes you a promise that they break. Somebody says they're going to do something that they don't do. Pick, pick, pick whatever it is that's your favorite irritant. <laughs> All right? They said they were going to show up and help you, and then they didn't. How do you not internalize that? Because how many of you know that this world just has an abundance of opportunities to be offended? Anybody with me? You can just get offended. We have people in our church that disagree politically. Anymore, boy, that's, that's just, that's it. How do you, how, and how do we function? And watch this. Uh, Danny, do, do you do you watch any professional sports? Do you like any of them? You have a favorite team in any sport? Sure. Who is it? I'm a Cubs guy. I hate you. <laughs> I'm not. All right, and I don't. All right, but you picked a great one. I mean, you get really avid fans. What are you have a? Are you crazy? Cardinals are the those are the biggest losers in sports. They're they're the worst fans in baseball. Are you kidding me? You ever been to Chicago? I mean, and, all, and it's on. And you, you've seen people. Now, watch this. Democrats, Republicans right now. 
I got two people that I admire greatly who one is a, was a professor at AGTS and the other one is a close friend of mine and both of them are diehard Democrats. So I'm transferring schools. <laughs> no. Listen. No, 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 I'm not. I'm a, I, can, I can see it. No, I'm not. But, but here's the deal. How do you live in a world so primed for offense and not be? Well, you just don't believe in anything. No, that's not who we're called to be. How do you do it? How, how do you live above? And Paul is calling us to put that on. Now watch this. Why? This isn't in here, but let me ask this question right here. Why are we called to live this way? What's the real you're already going to heaven. You are going to heaven. So who cares? What's the prize in this? What's the motive? Jane, what's the motive? Yeah. Absolutely. We represent Christ. It's the, the life that we now live is, is seen. And watch this. Which do you think is more important? What you do or what you are? It's what you are. God knows what you are. Not what you do. It's what you are. So he says, put on. Anybody getting challenged yet? Anybody? Anybody with me? Yeah, good. I don't want to be the only heathen in the room, all right? He says, listen, the, the, um, um, I went too far. I'm sorry. Hold on just a second. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving. How do we do it? How do you bear with one another? And even when you got a complaint, the, the indication here is it's just, it's justified. You didn't just make something up. You're not just, no, I got a legitimate complaint. Wayne has, he said he'd be there and he wasn't. It's legitimate. All my friends knew he was supposed to come. He didn't come. How do I live without the offense? Now watch this. Should Wayne do what he says he's going to do? Should he be there? I'm not, I'm not compromising my virtue. I'm not just excusing what he did. But how do I not hold the offense and forgive him and let it go and move on? Um, he, he tells us. Forgiving each other, how? As the Lord has forgiven you. There is nothing. There will never be anything that Wayne can do to me that will, that will equal what I, what I did in my transgression of the Lord's righteousness. Even those of you that grew up in church and you don't remember a time when you were, you know, had to repent, you felt the weight of that, you were still a sinful person. You have still sinned since then. And in comparison to Christ, in the Lord's righteousness, no one's ever going to transgress you to the degree that you and I would transgress the Lord. It's just not going to happen. So we are able to do that as we reflect upon what Christ has forgiven us for. The, the best example of that is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you remember that? It's in Matthew, the 18th chapter. Talks about Peter asking him, Lord, how many, how many times should I forgive someone? And Jesus talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
There's a king who wanted to settle accounts. Comes across this guy that just owes him a bazillion dollars. And remember, Jesus isn't, isn't telling this parable to talk about how the father should be. He's talking about how we should be. And, and he's comparing us to the servant. So the story goes that there, were two, there was a servant who owed a king a, a lifetime of debt. A lifetime, and the king forgave it. And then that guy went out and saw a guy that owed him a few dollars. This is the Rhodes paraphrase. And he grabbed that guy and choked him. And he demanded that the man would pay him. And he said, I, listen, if you'll give me a little time, I'll pay you everything. And the guy said no. And he had him thrown into jail until he paid the debt. And then the king heard about what would happen, what had happened. And he called the guy that he had forgiven. And he said, look, I, I forgave you an immense amount. And you're not willing to forgive somebody else. So he had the other guy released and he threw him in jail until he should pay everything. And the thought is he was never going to be able to pay it, so he's never going to get out. You and I are the one, all of us, who have been forgiven a great debt and how we forgive others is to keep that in mind. And he said, that's how you do it. Verse 14, he says, and above all. Now there's an interesting, if we stay with what Paul has put us in, in this in this idea of putting on a garment. Then he says, and above all, what does that sound like? If we stay in the garment metaphor, above all, what would we call that garment? Yeah, your coat, your outer, your outer coat. All right, you, you, you put your undergarments on, all right? You, then, then you got your pants and you got your, your blouse or your shirt on, all right? And maybe you put a vest on, and then on top of all of that, okay, you put on humility, you put on compassion, you put on, you see what I mean? Now, over all of that, above all of that, put on love. Watch this. Man, this is so good. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's a powerful picture here. And it's the only way we get done what Christ has called us to do. Anybody here like um, Brussels sprouts? All the Brussels sprout eaters, raise your hand. Raise them up high. Get out. That's the nastiest little round balls of vegetation on the planet. Now, if you cover them in enough brown sugar and bacon, that, like the way some people do them, well, you could cover ball bearings in that stuff. And I'd, <laughs> you see what I mean? But, but they're just bitter. And they, I mean, I like cabbage. Somebody said, well, it's just like little baby cabbages. No, it's not. It's like little balls of evil. I've tried them. I've tried them. Anybody like, uh, like, uh, like cow liver, like calf liver, like liver and onions? Anybody like that? All right, get, get out with the Brussels sprout eaters, all right? I lo- and this is what's weird about me. I love chicken livers fried. Oh, man, that's good. But eating cow liver is like eating a mud pie to me, man. It's just awful. Watch this. Pat and I are different. She likes Brussels sprouts and liver. Pat, I'm not sure that we can be friends anymore. (laughs) I like 
I like um, I like people who think about other people first. That's the way I'm oriented. My favorite people are people that are aware of the needs of others. I mean, favorite, that's not the right word. The people that I relate to the most directly are people that are more oriented towards what's the, the emotional state and the things that are going on with people. Um, other people are much more um, mission-oriented, goal-oriented, whatever type A-driven. All right, there's part of me that's that way, but not most of me. Um, I want I want people to be happy. I want people to coexist. I want them to love one another. I want them to to work out their problems. I don't always work out all of mine, um, but that's that's my orientation. But lots of people in the world aren't like that. If the whole world was like me, we wouldn't get anything done. But we'd all be sitting around happy <laughs> with each other, you know. Um, I'm making an extreme point, but Paul talks about that on top of all of that, there is this thing that binds it all together. And you're going to see in just a moment that the thing that gets bound together is God's kingdom. How can you have a church where we got got liver Brussels sprout eating people right here with me? We've also got people that believe that the landscape of our political process right now is all bad because of one person's fault. And then other people think it's somebody else's fault. And they think it's, some people think it's the economy. No, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the dissolving of the family. It's the, the number one issue is the unborn. No, no, the number one issue is, fa- I mean, you understand? And you're, you're, my goal is not to get all of you to think like me. It is in the diversity of, I'm not talking about sin. It's not what, with me? I, I, I like fruit flavors. My wife likes caramely, chocolatey. All right? We do really good together. We get two things of ice cream. All right? <laughs> We don't fight over them, all right? Um, Do you understand what what Paul is saying here? People don't have to be just like you in order for you to love them and to, watch this, and to value them. Well, up to a point, but let me tell you, if they go across that, you know, that political, no. You know, the the, the whole deal is that there is this thing, watch this, even more so than compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. You're supposed to be putting on those garments. And, and then you need to remember that Christ has forgiven you, so you need to forgive others. And then put on love. Well, all you need to do is just accept Jesus in your heart and you're fine. <laughs> there's, some, there's some more stuff in here. Amen? And it gets deep in a hurry. Can you say amen to that? 
And the word is challenging. It just, every time you open it, it challenges this flesh. It challenges your mind. It challenges your heart. It challenges your, your, your life, your, your everything. On top of all of those things that you've already put on, put on love. Love is the outer garment. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. Notice Ephesians chapter 4. Let me hurry because we're going to run out of time. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes in a whole other letter, in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Listen, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, so we're not milk toast. We don't just roll over and agree with everything. We speak the truth, but we do it in So I'm not trying to hurt you. I love you. I care about you. I need to tell you the truth because I want the best for you. Not me, for you. Speaking the truth in love, watch this. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together. If you're going to hold together the body of Christ, it's going to be in love. By every joint with which it is equipped... And if you remember, the, the body is likened to a physical body. Can the head say to the eyes? Can the eyes say to the feet? Can, you know, listen. But rather, each member, different in function, works together. Paul has already done that. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, you got some stuff to do. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you're not going to be loving, this isn't the group for you. Because we're, our final garment that we put on top of everything else is that I love Vi. I love Wayne. And what does love do? Covers a... Yeah. Love binds everything together. It produces a sense of harmony, Paul says. Everything fits together in harmony, and it's love that makes that harmony possible between the divergent humanity that makes up the church. Churches aren't supposed to be made up of everybody who thinks the same. That's not called a church. That's called a cult. Everybody must think like me. You got you to make room for people that don't think just like you, and they're working it out. We love one another. I want you to imagine something here with me. Um, I want you to imagine two people. Two people, and both of these two people have a very different opinion about something that you're passionate about than you. Let's say it's Danny and Wayne. And I have an opinion about something that I am passionate about, and they both... Have a, they share the same opinion that is in opposition to mine. All right? They're both wrong, is what I'm saying. Okay? No, no, no. I've put on humility. All right, listen. They, they both share an opinion drastically different than mine. All right? But Wayne is my dad. Now, they have the same opinion. But I love that one. And this one, in the words of a famous philosopher on TV, he can kiss my grits. <laughs> right? <laughs> Y'all remember Flo? I'm sorry. I show, all right? All right? I just went out for the whole world. All right? 
My redneck heritage is showing itself. Watch this. I want you to think about what love does. They share the same opinion. But, but my love for him mitigates everything, doesn't it? He's an idiot. He's just born with a piece missing. He comes from them Jerseyville people. I mean, that's what's, I mean, I mean, I'll say things, right? I'll say unkind things. I'll think unkind things that this guy who shares exactly the same opinion, they're buddies. They drink coffee together every day. But this is my dad who I disagree with greatly. But there's something that changes it, doesn't it? Now, that's what Paul's writing about. That we have to be in this. You say, no, no, that's your dad. That's different. Well, yes, it is a different kind of love. But we are called to love. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly amazed how easy it is for us to throw that out and ignore what we're called to. We're not just called to tolerate. I'm called to love Danny. If he's in the body, he's my dad and he's my brother or grandpa, you know, all right? Now that, anybody challenged by that? Boy, I am. Why am I belaboring this? Because we live in a world today that so needs the body of Christ to figure this out. Man, do, do you know, we, we lament the darkening of our world. Anybody lament it? I do. Anybody feel like the world's getting darker? Anybody would be okay if the rapture of the church happened tonight? Yeah, me too. We lament that. I used to do this little simple illustration, and you'll certainly pick up on it quickly. If I took a flashlight in here to, right now, and I, I, I took the flashlight, and I begin to dim the lights in here, what would happen to the brightness of this light? Get brighter? No, it wouldn't. It would stay exactly like it was. But our perception of it is that it would seem much brighter as the atmosphere around it grew darker. Now, what's the only thing that I could do to keep that light from seeming brighter as the atmosphere got darker? What would I have to do? I'd have to dim this light in a correlation to the light in the atmosphere. If we draw on that, where Matthew tells us that we, you, I, we are the light of the world. And if the world is legitimately, and it is getting darker, we ought to be looking brighter all the time. But I'm not sure that we are. Why? Because I'm not. I'm not, listen, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to us. Because I'm not putting on I'm not putting on compassion and kindness and love. I'm, I'm engaging in the same battles the world's fighting right now. I've picked a side. I'm dug in. That's my right. I'm an American. Yeehaw. And I am. And I believe in those things. But there's got to be something. The thing that I put on last is love. By this shall all men know 
that you're my disciples if you have love one for the other. I'm challenged by those, and we ought to be. Let me, let me get us, let me encourage us a little bit here because I don't want to let, oh man, pastor says we're all going to hell. No, that's not the deal. Listen, we're past that. That's why I started with that. This isn't, this isn't for a beginner. This is for somebody that says, okay, Lord, put me in the school. All right. Start. We're, we're, we don't arrive at this. You don't say, I am all compassion and all kind. No, only Jesus was all those. But this is the mark that we're shooting for. Paul says, I press on towards the mediocre, sort of low, obtainable mark of the calling of God in Christ. No, I press on towards the, the high, the high calling. All right? We're called up to something. It's not easy. This is a challenge. This is every day. This is tough. It's tough for everybody. It was tough for Paul. It's going to be tough for us. But that doesn't mean we don't try. All right? On top of all these, put on love. Notice, as I said, that we're bound together in Ephesians 4 by love. Love binds everything together. It produces a sense of harmony between all of the divergent things. Makes it able for us to love. Verse 15. And, now watch this. Here's the payoff. Here's the good news. This is what happens. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. Hear that body thing again? How do we make this body function? You got to be loved. And then he throws this little nugget in. And also, wait, and be thankful. Oh, come on, Lord. I got to be compassionate and kind and humble and love and, and thankful? Can I grumble a little bit about the hardness of this thing you called us to? No. Be thankful. Your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And let the peace of Christ rule. Now, let's read 14 and 15 together because there's a, you feel it more when you read them together. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. What's the source of this peace? And let the peace of Christ. This is being in him. This is in fellowship with him. This is spending time with him. This is knowing who Christ is. This is allowing him to take the old man, the old woman from you and develop something new and where you get to the place where you, you see your identity in him. You are who he says you are. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. And then be thankful. Lord, thankful. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for, thank you for my church. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my job. Lord, I got a sore elbow, but I got one that works great. Thanks for that good elbow, Lord. You with me? How many of you really love being around glass half empty people? Hey, we got a car. Yeah, but it ain't new. It's no good. <laughs> Somebody gave us a new car. Yeah, but it's a Ford. I wanted a Chevy. <laughs> you know those people? Oh, my goodness. It's beautiful outside today. Yeah, but it's probably going to rain. No matter what it is, it's always... Come on. Be thankful. Look around you. Do we have some things that we could complain about? Yes. Do we have some hurts and some pains? Yes. Do, do we have reasons that we could look back at? Yes. But come on, look at... I, I, I have the most 
beautiful two granddaughters in the universe. I feel sorry for you other people that have granddaughters. You know what I mean? Oh my goodness, my granddaughter's going to move to Florida. Do I like that? No, but I'm going to visit Florida more. I got a reason to go to Florida. You got to find ways to think about the things God's blessed you with. Say amen if you get that. The word translated rule here, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Really interesting word. Let me wrap this up pretty quickly. Let the peace of God rule. This, this word uh, isn't like sitting on a throne. It is like uh, the chief arbiter. Uh, let, let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your heart. Um, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your heart. Let the peace of Christ be the thing that makes the decisions. Something that I've learned about finding God's will, and I've taught people this. Uh, Pastor, how do I know what God wants me to do? I say this, follow the peace. If there are two directions, find the one that's filled with peace when you think about it. Go that way. Why? Let the peace of Christ arbitrate. No, 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 don't do that one. Take that one. Follow the peace. Allow peace to be the thing that rules your heart, that arbitrates. Am I going to let that in? No, no, I'm not. Am I going to say, no, no, I'm not going to say that. Am I going to do, no. Now, nobody gets that all the time, but that's our goal. Let the peace of Christ, let it be the thing that governs your heart. You're not supposed to be governed by your past or by worry in the future about the future, or stress in the present. We all do. We all struggle with it. But Paul says, let the peace of Christ, let, let the salvation that's come to you be the thing that, let that be the identity that you live in today. That peace only comes from Christ. Now he says in one body, uh, we are intended to be an, ins- it's intended to be an inseparable union that, that cannot be broken without, without loss. You were called to be in one body. And then be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ... Now, here we go. How do you get it done? Here's the prescription. And this is another command. I didn't point out all the commands, but there have been several. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. Oh, I love that word. Let there be a bunch of it. Let, 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 be saturated with it. Don't, don't just... Don't have a VO5 amount of the word. Remember VO5? How much did you need? Just a little dabble, do you? No, no, no. We're not wanting that. Let it dwell richly. I mean, lather it on. I mean, smear it on deep. Have a bunch of it. Let the word dwell richly in you. Why? So that you can both teach and admonish one another. I can challenge Pat. Pat, listen, the Lord in his word says, don't eat that nasty organ meat. Don't eat that liver. No, no, that's not what it says. But listen. So that we can help one another, encourage one another. How? With the word, with the principles of Christ. Admonishing one another in all wisdom. You can't admonish in wisdom if you're going to be absent God's word. Wisdom comes from his word. And then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That sounds like worship to me, doesn't it, you? It sounds like an expression of song that, well, oh, Lord, you are so good. 
You've blessed me so greatly. My family and my, my redemption and my, 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 my work. And I mean, oh, Lord. I'm, and you just sing a new song out to him. That's the, this is how you do those other things. Fill yourself up with the word. So much so that you could teach or help others. And then worship and let that stuff come out. And let thankfulness fill your heart. Sue is... We, we've, what's that guy's name? The guy with no arms and no legs? Nick Veselich or something like that. And he's a man that was born just ahead in torso. He has no legs and no arms. Wow. Could have been you. Could have been me. Look at that. I got two that work. Oh, pastor, that's facetious. That's No, it's not. And that guy seems to be filled with joy and gives praise and travels all over the world telling people about Jesus. I watched a guy one time, probably the most impactful sermon I've ever seen was when I was youth pastoring Roosevelt, Arkansas. My pastor booked this guy. I met him before church. And he had cerebral palsy so bad. He was in his late 60s then. I couldn't understand what he was saying at first. He could just barely walk with two walkers. And, and, he, and he was the speaker. And I thought, man, this is, a, this is, this is, this is wrong. We're, we're about to... And the pastor said, no, 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 leave him alone. He, he's the guy. When he first started talking... You, you couldn't really understand what he was saying, but it, just in a couple of minutes, you could. It was amazing. He traveled all over the country. He was a traveling evangelist. He just did single messages. He didn't do like a week uh, that I knew of. I'm sure he's in heaven now because it's been a long time ago. I still remember the topic of his sermon. You know what it was? You've got to have the want to. Man, I probably would have curled into some hole somewhere and just quit. I'd have been filled with, you know, how come me? Don't we have much to be thankful for? Come on. Don't you have a lot to be thankful for? We ought to be thankful. I do. My goodness. Oh, my. The, 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 the incredible amount. I'm just thankful. Do all of that with thanksgiving in your heart. And then verse 17 closes it out with this, this incredible weighty theological truth. And whatever you do, he's going to catch it all now. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks. Three times now he's told us to give thanks. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whenever you see the word speak of in the name of something, we do this thing when we pray. We bless our food and at the end we say, in the name of Jesus, amen. Let me tell you what that means biblically, doctrinally. When you hear it like this, do everything in the name of, it doesn't mean Okay, Wayne, I'm going to smack you in the face 
And then I'm going to say, I smack you in the name of Jesus. And that makes it okay. That's a ridiculous point. What's he saying? In that day, in that culture, when you came in someone's name, you represented their authority. Uh, When the servant of Abraham went to find a wife, no, when the servant of Isaac went to find a wife for Jacob. Remember that? He sent his servant, went back to his homeland. He represented Isaac in that moment. He, when, when we do anything, what Paul is saying is that when you do something, do those things that you can do like you represent Jesus doing them. That's all you got to do. Remember the bracelets? WWJD? What would Jesus do in this situation? That's really what Paul is saying. Do what you do in a way so that if Jesus was doing it, it'd be the right thing. And give thanks while you do it. Man, there's some stuff in these, in these verses, aren't there? Anybody challenged like me? I was studying it and I thought, you know, Lord, I think I'm going to feign sickness tonight. Let John Bowling come teach this. The Word of God is intended to convict us, to draw us, and to change us, and to shape us, and to mold us. And if it doesn't, you're not, you're moving too fast or something. You're not. Because we are always, guys, we are are called upwards, upwards, upwards. Move towards, move closer. More like Him. Give more like Him. Forgive more like Him. Speak more like Him. Serve more like Him. Be more like Him. Um... Be transformed. Let your mind be washed and regenerated. I love that verse. Transform your mind by the washing and the renewing of the word. You take enough of the word into your life. He'll rearrange your thoughts. He'll rearrange your priorities. We're we're in a process of being transformed every day. 